If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. So welcome to this episode of the podcast, Carissa. I would love to start by understanding a little bit about who you were before you became a mum. Yes, I've been thinking about this question. Thank you um, for having me, Alicia. Who I was before, um, look, I, so many times you just think of who you are with what you do um, and in that context um, I travelled, lived around the world working on major sporting events. That's kind of what I've done, what I enjoy um and loving life um yeah I think though the undercurrent as much as I enjoyed all the doing there was um kind of an undercurrent that really was I that that happy there was you know just always something missing so um yeah love what I love what I do but it's not everything job Job, work, career, it's, it wasn't everything. Yeah. Had the shiny stuff though. Yeah. Oh, had an absolute ball. Lived in, you know, lived in the Middle East, lived in Europe, lived in Canada, worked on two Olympic and Paralympic Games. Wow. Um, yeah, just so many career highlights um, have met the most wonderful people you know, my the best friends in my life are, um, you know, that family that you have on the road when you are travelling and working overseas. Yeah. Um, all all absolute rocks, and the only downside is they don't all live next door to me. <laughs> there, um, you know, some of them I haven't seen for five, six years, but they're still very close to my heart. But along the way, you didn't meet the right person, or what happened that you decided to go down this path? Uh, no, never met the right person. Lots of another question I thought about too. Lots of unrequited love, I guess you would say. Uh-huh. Um, 
few a few relationships here and there, but nothing like as a fully fledged adult that was overly serious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I tried one or two dating apps like later, but um, yeah, but they're hideous. Nothing ever. Oh God, I hate them. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing ever really totally clicked, and so uh, you know, I had a lot of fun along the way, but not. Yeah, nothing very serious. And at what point did you decide, hey, becoming a mum is actually the most important thing to me? Um, I've always wanted to be a mum. I, you know, I remember pretending to be a mum when, you know, when you play as a young girl. I thought about being a mum and when I had a nephew born and then two nieces, I kept on thinking that yep that's that's definitely what I want mm-hmm. um but just didn't really occur to me that this was anything I could do myself so I you know it's it's been 10 years now since I first started my IVF journey mm-hmm. um, my journey to be a solo mum and the catalyst really was when I was living in London for the um London Olympic and Paralympic Games and my friend and I went to Iceland to see the Northern Lights. We never did get to see the Northern Lights because of the weather. (laughs) We were sitting in a cafe doing what we love to do, playing cards, and she handed over um, a notebook and I said, what's this? And she said, this is for you to write down what you want in life because we've been talking and we don't think that you're very happy. Oh, wow. Um, and that was the greatest gift that her as the representative, but that those, those group of friends could have possibly done because she just said, what do you want? And I said, I want a baby. And, um, kind of from that moment, the next six months to the games was all about planning. Okay. Well, I'll take a short holiday after, after it finishes, but then I'm going home. Wow. Because I wanted to do, to do it at home where I had support and I really didn't even know where to start to begin that kind of a journey. Um, and it's still, even when I came home, it took kind of three months for me to have the courage to ask my GP and another three months to follow up on the referral. Did you know anyone else who had been down that path that could have helped or was it all pretty fresh? I knew... I knew of two women, but I I wasn't very close to them, so I didn't ever follow up. There were always a lot of um, people having kids, even on the road, you know, and what we do, they, you know, lots of relationships with people that you work with, um, and I kind of just thought that would happen. So, um, yeah, I didn't know anyone that was close to me that had ever done anything like this before, Um yeah, you and have a I wonderful podcast back then to listen to. So I didn't know. Um, but when I came home, I, I have three sisters. Um and I told them what I wanted to do. And yeah, they were so supportive. Oh, Very fantastic. Yeah. And so after you plucked up the courage to go to your GP, what was your, your journey like after that? Um, so she referred me to a clinic here in Melbourne and I went 
Uh, and like many of us, I kind of said, yeah, I'm just going to do it once. Um, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. But it's kind of like a drug yeah, where um, there's so much hope that you just keep going. Um, so, yeah, I I went and had the, the tests, um, my egg reserve, was really low um at the time I was 39 mm-hmm. so I knew um well we, the doctor had explained that you know it was probably going to be a bit of a rough journey but we should get started um pretty quickly I'd just come back and got a new what some people would call a dream job for someone um in my position and all I kept thinking was about the logistics of things. So, well, hang on, I'm I'm going to need to have mat leave. If I start it now, then the baby's going to be born then and I won't have been there 12 months, so I won't qualify for mat leave. In hindsight, I should have just had a conversation with the HR department. Yeah. <laughs> um, but instead I waited so that when it happened the first time, it would all line up brilliantly. Of course, you're getting pregnant four months and and it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time you, um, you know, go through the tests and do the counselling and things like police checks that we had to do back then. Yeah. Um, and then I had to then also pluck up the courage to tell my parents, which. Ah, so you told your sisters but hadn't told your parents. I told my sisters but hadn't told my parents. Okay. Um. So we had a family dinner and we got to dessert and I still hadn't said anything and my sister's kicking me under the table, like literally kicking me under the table. <laughs> and I said, well, I've got something to tell everyone. And I started with, which, yeah, must have been a horrible experience to my parents. I said, oh, I've, I had a doctor's appointment. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> And the look of horror on my mum's face. I said, oh, no, 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 everything's okay. But I'm going to try and have a baby by myself. And I, like, I think they both cried. Uh, My two brothers-in-law across the table were also really supportive, Mm. saying I'd make a fantastic mum. Yeah, so it, it was kind of that group. And a few friends that knew that I was what I was going to be doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. very important to have that little support network, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I we ha- we had the first cycle, and you know I'd heard about the writing on the hand. The doctor had said he'd write on the hand. Um, and I wake up, and I think the first time there were three eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know I was celebrating, and then I heard the lady in the cubicle next to me. She got twenty two, mm. and I was just, oh, it's 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 not a competition, but it just really hits home where you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's you know, I just I just thought it was going to work we uh one of them got to an embryo transfer and 
yeah, it didn't it didn't happen. And I remember the devastation that you have when you get that call. Mm. Um, and then you jump back right in because you can't let it go. And there's so the pendulum swings from devastation to hope again. Uh, and as you go through the journey, you really try to control that hope, but it you you can't you can't really protect yourself from yeah. it because you have to hope you have to stay positive. Um, and all the practitioners, all the you know the naturopaths and the acupuncturists and the Chinese medicine specialists, they all tell you. You know the psychologists, they all tell you you need to stay positive which when you in the vortex can be very very challenging yeah and so you become completely tunnel visioned um yeah everything everything became about having a baby and because not a lot of people knew it became really socially isolating because I didn't want to go out and have big nights. I didn't want to have late nights. There were times when I couldn't drink, but I couldn't tell anybody I wasn't drinking. Um, you become the queen of excuses, don't you? Yeah. I, You know, I missed friends' birthdays, which was horrible having to call. I missed people's baby showers. That was really hard. Um, and they didn't know. They you know, I'm sure they thought on the other end, I can't believe she's not coming to my baby shower. Um, but a lot of it was self-preservation, but also just just looking after myself. Yeah, I think a lot of people could learn from that. I just went to the baby showers and was probably the little dark cloud in the corner and didn't realise that I was putting on such a brave face, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think too, like when you're in your 20s and your 30s, people are asking you, you know, when are you going to meet someone? When are you going to? like have a baby, oh, you really should start thinking about it now. And there comes a time where people just don't say anything and then you feel like, mm. you know, just the the aunt in the corner or the best goddamn aunt ever, which I am. <laughs> um, and, and especially at the age you were, people would not think that you weren't coming because you were trying to get pregnant because not many people were doing that. No. Themselves. And they stop. They stop. I remember telling someone that I... um that I was, what I was doing, um, one of my oldest friends and like they were really shocked that um, I was even contemplating it. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not really friends anymore. I think um, a, lot, a lot has changed in the last five years as well since you've had your son that people might not be as surprised now, becoming a lot more no. But back then it was not at all. No. And and I didn't um so I, I I had three cycles with that doctor. Um and then I just wasn't gelling. And so one of my friends actually had been to a, a different specialist. And so I made an appointment and she sat me down. Um I really liked her because she was really straight. She just told me, she said, Carissa, I will never exaggerate. I will always tell you um, 
what it's like. She wasn't overly warm and friendly, but I think I needed that. Yeah. Um, someone who wasn't really going to sugarcoat anything. The first thing she did was um, get me to do a, a scan and I had endometriosis. So we'd never done those things before. So I don't know if I had it before or if, you know, the drugs that you take. That's um, a little frustrating after three cycles that they didn't establish that earlier, but okay. Yes, it is. And she couldn't believe that it hadn't been done. But mm. we, um, yeah, so I had a laparoscopy and uh, so they, they cleared that out and then so I did my my first cycle with her and it resulted in a pregnancy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was real exciting. I I told one person at this stage at work. Um she was ne- standing next to me when I got, got the phone call. <laughs> so you thought you had to. <laughs> yeah. Um so that was that was cool. And then it was kind of towards the start of the summer and I was working in cricket. So the season, the summers are always very busy. I was doing a lot of travel and um, I was six weeks and I was at the Adelaide test and I started bleeding. So that wasn't ideal and, you know, that just well it was devastating you're still kind of hoping I remember calling my sister and she goes can you come home I'm like no I can't come home because I was still not telling I hadn't told my boss no one knew if I I can't say I'm coming home and a security guard came up to me so we're at that LA test and a security guard comes up to me and he just said, are you okay? And I was just, you know, just all through this journey, many people just show you such kindness. And that was one of the moments I remember. I hid away. I still didn't tell anybody. I told someone my aunt had died and so she brought me some water till I could compose myself. Um, and then I called a clinic and I had to fly to Brisbane the next day so they organized a scan up there and that doctor was horrible he just said oh you've miscarried like you're just gonna have to wait have another scan with your doctor when you go home Mm. so I did I I did tell my boss I'm not feeling very well I came home I had another scan and they found a heartbeat this time oh okay so for another five weeks, because it was over Christmas mm-hmm. or in the lead up to Christmas, they let me go with the pregnancy. They did nothing. So I got to 13 weeks until they finally decided, no, we have to give you a DNC. But there was still a heartbeat. Mm. Well, there was a heartbeat and then there wasn't. It was all very confusing time. Mm. Emotionally, that must have been horrendous yes it was um it was because again didn't tell anyone I just told them I was sick and I went to work the next day all these things that you we do to ourselves um yeah 
So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't wasted. We knew that I could have a baby. I could get pregnant. Yep. Um, not necessarily have a baby, but like, like that I could get pregnant, it was possible. Um, so we kept trying. My doctor explained to me the lost baby curve or lost baby syndrome. She drew a graph and said, this is um, uh, this is kind of where we are. And then if you draw a line straight across, this is where some people stop. And then the curve keeps going. And all of this here are the potentially lost babies. People who could have, could, there's no reason why you can't keep going. Um, but I will tell you when it's time to stop. I think you found a good one with her. I did. I found it, found a gem. So all in all, I probably had another four goes with her there were times when I didn't get any eggs times when I got one egg times when yeah we didn't get to transfer at all even though there was an egg mm. um and I did end up telling my boss uh I was having a transfer done and I, there was a lady sitting across from me in the waiting room I just tell this story because it's a funny story. Yeah. Um, and there were many people I saw at different times at doctor's appointments and I hid, like, and um, but this one, this woman, I I heard the nurse say, call this person. I'm like, oh, I swear I know that person. And I, I was with my sister and she goes, you're just being paranoid. I said, no, that's my boss's wife. And she goes, you're being paranoid, no way. Anyway, I didn't think anything about it, but I'd just flown in from Perth that morning and I had my cricket backpack. So I came out of um, recovery. for It was from an egg pickup. Sorry, it wasn't a transfer. Egg pickup. And we're sitting opposite each other in, you know, the big lazy boy chairs. Mm-hmm. And I heard them say her name and then her husband's name, such and such is coming to pick you up. And I was like, <laughs> I knew that was her. Like that can only be her. And then they came across and said, your sister's here. She's just in the lobby. So I'm like, great. So I got my backpack, which she would have been able to see. And I ran out the door. And as I'm leaving recovery and walking into the lobby, the sliding doors to the building are opening and he's walking in with his young son. So I ran into the lobby past the reception and straight into an office and slammed the door and it was the nurse manager's office. (laughs) My sister saw me whip past her and I said, I'm so sorry, I can't go out there. I was doped up and, you know, and my sister comes in, she goes, what's wrong? I say, I told you that was her. <laughs> you didn't believe me. That's him. He's right there. And he's and like he didn't know at this stage. I'm sure he would have been very empathetic to knowing that his wife was going to say thing. I'm sure he would have. Um, yeah, of course he would have. But um, he, he found out later I told him this story because, you know, hormone, you don't realise when you're in it either how much the drugs affect you. 
if your hormones are up and down, but you kind of feel not like there's times when you just think you're flatlined, but actually no, other people are noticing something's going on. So I'd had the miscarriage and then I had a performance review and there was a little note at the bottom that said overly emotional at times of conflict. <laughs> so like, can we just have a moment at the end of the day? And I told him the story. And so then it was it was such a relief. Like it, it, I think if you if you open yourself up and you're vulnerable to people when you're doing something like this, it makes it that much easier. I don't know why we feel like we have to keep it to ourselves, though, but we do, don't we? Yeah. I think too, like like you said, there wasn't this, there weren't the groups on Facebook or none that I knew. I didn't have any peers I could talk to about it. Mm. I had friends that, you know, I would confide in, but I, yeah, there was there was no one who was going through the same thing as me. Um, so I'm, I really hope, and, you know, sharing the story with you you know that's it's really important that we're open about our journeys um and not one is the same like you know all the people that you've spoken to um not one of our journeys is the same the only thing is the same is that we're all incredible women we are and incredible mums yes uh so then yeah there came a point where she did say, look, this is going to be tough. Um, so I started having, I kind of had counselling the whole way through and we um, we, de- yeah, decided we'd give it another go and this time uh, my sister volunteered to be an egg donor. Beautiful. So she was only a year younger than me, so it was going to be tough. And, again, um, we were probably a little overconfident in how that would go. You know, my sister and and my brother-in-law are amazing people and, you know, he had to go through counselling. We all had to have counselling together. We had counselling separate um they were they were all for it but that only ever got as far as um she she took a lot of a lot of hormones um but we never got to egg pick up with that um which was which was probably more devastating for her than me I was a bit more matter of fact about things like that but yeah she really really wanted to do it and having that genetic connection um it was yeah that it would have been lovely but that wasn't to be so I started having counseling about um giving up okay that was going to look like what life was going to have look like because I was having such trouble letting go yeah um and it was just a conversation with that with that um counselor who she was outside the system um have yeah having a conversation with her and the consideration of sourcing an overseas donor mm-hmm. um the the sperm donor had always been domestic uh 
there's, you know, kind of slim pickings. I went through a number of donors, um, slim pickings as well as not a lot of information that you get. Um, but hopefully that's changed. Um, a bit. Still not huge, but yeah, a bit. Um, and so I discussed with my IVF specialist the possibility of that and she was open to that and um, we it wasn't necessarily something that the clinic, I could do with the clinic, mm. but they had relationships with overseas clinics as well as a clinic in Canberra. So she could still be my treating specialist here, um, but the IVF process would be done in Canberra with overseas donors. Okay. So that took a lot of getting my head around, kind of that letting go that um, any baby would be genetically related to me. That's quite a quite a step, quite a bridge to um, cross. Mm. But I think, again, anytime you get into a cycle, you kind of full steam ahead or nothing. So I had a conversation with a um, a clinic that was, that um, could provide donor X. Mm-hmm. And the thing about going to Canberra um I could source sperm from the US. So another thing I did, I did have a consult with Elton John's fertility um, doctor in LA, cost me 500 US dollars for a half hour consult. That was another thing that I desperately did along the way. I also contacted people that I saw on the project that were looking for someone for their spare embryos. Yeah. That didn't work out. There were so many things that I did in between all of this. Um, but I landed on the US sperm and European donor eggs. Wow. I think you're the first person I've talked to that's used donor eggs in Australia that wasn't from a known egg donor. Oh, okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So um didn't know them, but I could select them. Okay. Um, ultimately, it came down to two women donating their eggs, and I chose one, and, of course, then something happened and I couldn't have them, so I got the other one. But I had so much choice for, for the sperm donor. Yeah. Well, it's like all the American movies, isn't it, just the books? All the yeah. Um, yeah, a website full of different days which in some ways made it harder because there was so much choice um so we yeah I had I you know always got my sisters to help me what do you think of this one yeah um sometimes we'd just you know have have some wine and be be choosing um oh I like this one (laughs) uh so that that I mean that was a fun process You've got to find some joy in it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. But they were the people. Um, so we went through the Seattle Sperm Bank and they were lovely to deal with. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of 
the the process of getting it here is all very interesting like that it comes over in you know the vials there's a minimum number of vials that you have to have to buy um to fly their eggs over some you have to pay for two tickets because the kind of canister has to sit on one ticket and then you have to pay for someone to bring the canister so they waited until there were five women who were doing it so that we could share the cost of the cost of that um there was a minimum guarantee on the on the eggs okay Um, so you could order kind of eight eggs and um you know, a guarantee that 50% of them, I can't remember the actual numbers, but 50% of them might get to um, embryo transfer. And if there wasn't a a, a, um, a pregnancy, then you could get more shipped over for nothing, that kind of arrangement, which I think is becoming more common. Mm. Um, so, of course, <laughs> nothing goes easy. Nothing goes easy. The first time we tried to do it was um, they stuffed up my cycle. They stuffed up my meds. Mm. Uh, so that was a bit of a hullabaloo. So they ended up bulk billing that cycle. Well, it helps a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And they had to self-report that they had stuffed that up. Um. I dealt mostly with the embryologist um, and the business manager from that point. I think it became a bit. Um, we just need to get this. Not legal, pregnant. but, yeah, they, they kind of wanted to get me pregnant after that, I think. Um, and, yeah, so I, they kept, the embryologist kept me posted on on how things were going. Thank God that we hadn't. Um, actually like they hadn't taken everything they hadn't fertilized the eggs yet when they stuffed my meds up so they were all still safely tucked away um but we did fly up to Canberra to my mum came with me it was I think it was cup day in 2017 and uh went to the clinic had was there for like Half an hour, I had the transfer and then went back to the business lounge and had a champagne. Because <laughs> I've, I've figured last the last time. And it was? And it was. Yay. So I, um, I was still travelling like a crazy person each summer and I was at the Brisbane, Brisbane test at the Gabba and I got a phone call and... I was in the middle of a a walk around the day before the test started and I saw the number come up and I'm like, oh, and because I hadn't bled yet and they're like, well, we just want to let you know that um, you're pregnant. And I was like, okay. And there were, I had a couple of really close girlfriends at work and um, they were there and I pulled them into the radio box next door and I said, oh, my God, it's so <laughs> yeah so everyone was really happy happy for me and I by this stage I had a new boss and um the first thing I told her in our first meeting was I'm doing IVF just so that right from the start and 
that was it just completely changed my experience and I had nothing but amazing support from her at all times like through the process through the pregnancy mat leave when I came back to work um she was amazing uh so then that uh that night I went back to my hotel room and I had two of my girlfriends who had been overseas but then were working at the Gold Coast game, uh, Commonwealth Games and they were in my hotel room and they knew I was getting the results that day, which is why they'd come down because they wanted to support me. Hmm. And one of them was the um, my friend who had slid that book across to me in Iceland and they opened up the door and they said, so? And I said, I'm pregnant. And we just like the three of us had the biggest, biggest hug um it was really poetic that she was there um yeah so obviously very early days and I kept it quiet um I remember being a couple of weeks later at at another test and uh had to pick something it was something heavy that I I would normally just pick up like no I'm not doing that I'm not, I'm not lifting anyone else to do that <laughs> and I asked um I asked my colleague if she could pick it up and she was like yep and an hour later we were walking back to our hotel it was really late at night I said oh I'm really sorry but I the reason I didn't pick that up is because I'm pregnant and she goes so am I <laughs> so it was you bring the lady pick it up <laughs> neither of us like had told anybody that we were pregnant and she had done that for me, which was so beautiful. Um, Yeah. So told, like, obviously I'd to- already called my sisters and, and my parents and then just held on. Seven-ish months later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all up your journey was, what, about five years from the time you decided it to the time you got your Now, son? so the first cycle was September 2013 and the last one, the, the one that worked, was November 2017. Yeah, four years. So there were about 11 or 12 cycles in there. Some, yeah, I think there were six, six, so sorry, including the one that gave me Declan, seven transfers the long journey that's so wonderful that you've got your happy ending at the end of it oh and it's just like I can hear him snoring next door and yeah it still blows my mind that he's here yeah when he was actually earthside how did you find those sort of those first early days was it what you thought it would be like nothing like it (laughs) um (laughs) I think because I I waited for so long, I really wasn't prepared. I hadn't thought past the birth, but even in the lead up to the birth, um, it was I was I, I just it was very um, clinical about it. Like I didn't buy anything until like I was thirty two weeks. I remember my sister saying, don't buy anything yet. You've got plenty of time. And then I got to May and he was born in the July and she said, so what have you got? I'm like, nothing. You told me to wait. <laughs> it's like, no, you need to buy stuff now. Um, yeah, and I I just, 
you know, I did the birthing classes and, but I was, it was all about the birth. I, I had things, I had nappies and I had clothes and I had the cot and the pram and that the logistics were sorted, but I just wasn't prepared for how I would feel and how he would feel. Yeah. Um, we really, there's so many things women put themselves through. I, he didn't, he didn't feed very well. Um, and he didn't sleep very well. So when you have that combo, it was pretty tough. Um, I don't really remember a lot, particularly the first three months. I was pumping six times a day. So I would feed, then I would pump, and then I'd give him the milk that I had pumped from the previous feed, and that's how we got through every single day. I was pumping in the middle of the night, like, he wasn't the constant washing of the bloody pump equipment as well. Ugh, it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just kept on hiring it for one week thinking it'll be better next week. It'll be better next week. I should have just paid $1,000 and bought one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was lucky though. My, my um, you know, I've, I've got an amazing family and I had my mum stay. My sister was living with me. And then um, so she was a great support, but my mum also stayed for the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her uh, kind of telling me that she was going to go home now and I was just in the kitchen and I burst into tears and she's like, oh, not. Uh, <laughs> just go and get some clean clothes because uh, I just, yeah, just didn't feel like I knew. I didn't have the confidence, which, you know, as a 45-year-old. Professional aunt as well by that point. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I should have just, yeah, lost all my confidence. And he wasn't sleeping, so I was tired. Um, We went to to sleep school at eight months because he wasn't sleeping for more than two and a half, three hours at, at night, even at eight months. We came out and he was sleeping in 45-minute cycles again. Oh, lovely. So that wasn't ideal. Um, even now he's not a fantastic sleeper. Um, quite often wakes, but I did find out today he has severe obstructive sleep apnea, which has gone undiagnosed. I always thought the snoring was re- really reassuring could I, so I could hear him breathe, but in actual fact, it's not fantastic. It's not it's not dangerous because he wakes himself up um to take a big breath, but good that you know about it now though. Wow. Doing something about it. Um yeah, it's never been picked up in all the times that we've seen specialists. Um, but we did a sleep study last week and yeah, they finally picked it up which is really good it's it's good news really that it's diagnosed and we can do something about it so maybe the sleep will <laughs> hopefully he'll he'll start to sleep a bit better and then maybe you'll get some good sleep too oh, i'll get some. yeah five yeah. years is a long time not to have much sleep it is yeah um yeah but it's i mean he's his name's declan and he uh I didn't tell anyone before he was born, but I desperately wanted a boy. Um, 
I just have my heart. I'd always seen myself as a boy mum. And he was born and my sister kind of, the, the doctor picked him up and um, the, the it wasn't, it was an okay birth but not okay birth. There were the last kind of 10 minutes were a bit frantic and the paediatrician had to be there and um, his, his blood, his heart beated, that heart rate had dropped. Um, so they quickly kind of got him out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but she picked him up, the doctor, and they're like, look, and Danica said, it's a boy. And I was like, I wanted a boy. I was so excited. Well, you didn't actually find out when you were pregnant. No, I didn't find out, no. After everything you've been through, like an eater surprise. I wanted something to be a surprise because the whole journey I'd kind of known. Um, yeah, he he was he was breech um, like four weeks out, so I was booked in for a cesarean, but then he just turned by himself, which was amazing. So we got back to... Um, an induction but it was um yeah so I did, like even that I didn't have the pains at home the you know the the labor pains at home so nothing was really a surprise so I thought well I'm gonna hold on to that as a as a geriatric mom I had to have an induction she was never gonna let me go um to term and uh yeah so I held on to that um yeah, but things got easier and then, you know, he went to childcare. That was that was really hard letting him go to childcare. You just, um, you know, we all experience it. We just want to hold on to them and the thought of other people looking after them. But uh, he's, you know, he flourished there. Um, How long did you get to have off work for maternity leave? Uh, I had nine months total. Mm-hmm. That was as much as I could afford. I had the 18 weeks paid parental leave, like from the government, and then leave, like some annual leave, and I took my mat leave at half pay. Mm-hmm. So that kind of got us through. And then I went back three days for a month and then went to four days and then went to kind of a hybrid nine-day well, nine fortnight until COVID hit and then that didn't work. Yeah, that didn't work so well. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe COVID happened, but he was he was a toddler then. Um, we had a park across the road, so even though, like, there was no playground, but we could go and roll the head of hill. And I just remember, like, I'll always cherish that because we that's how we learned to roll down hills together. It's cute. So there were some really um, good times. It was just the two of us living then, and my parents were outside of our five k radius. But one of my sisters was in was in, and we um, one day she just said, "Oh, why don't you drop Declan over and you can have a break?" It was during one of the lockdowns, and so it became a regular thing that every Saturday. I'd drop him off around 9.30 and I'd pick him up at 7, 7.30. Oh, I had him for the whole day and I sometimes I clean, sometimes I sat on the couch. Yeah. 
Um, and he loved it and uh, my nieces and nephew loved it. My sister and brother-in-law loved it. And he, like, they're really special times that I think when we're, when we moved on a bit further from COVID, there'll be some of those that, you know, everyone would really cherish. Yeah, there's some positives that came out of all of it. Yeah, well, we moved. We did a big sea change in the middle of COVID, in yeah. the second year of COVID. I bought, um, well, three three months into COVID, my sister lived in Ocean Grove, so uh, I'd been looking for an established house and then the home builder grant happened. So I bought a block of land kind of all in the space of 48 hours of making the decision, not knowing how work would work, but I just jumped and yeah. built a house and moved in in the very last lockdown, I think. Uh, yeah, so we we live a fairly different life to we did beforehand, yeah. um, before it all, but, yeah, we really love it. And he's, you know, he's off to... Off to school next year and I can't believe how fast it's gone. Yeah. Very big changes ahead. Very, yes. So with using an international egg and sperm donor, are they anonymous or do you get access to the details when Declan's 18 like you would in Australia? So with the um, with the sperm donor, so when uh, I found out I was pregnant, I notified the, the clinic, that sperm bank, um, just to let them know there was a pregnancy and then I let them know that there was a live birth and the rules are a little different and the numbers are a little different in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, they're bigger. <laughs> um, so we registered and then they they kind of, like they give you a login and our donor's name, nickname, um, what we referred to, to him was Benedict. Mm-hmm. Um, so all through the pregnancy, I referred to Declan as Benny, and I had, you know, in the delivery suite, I had Benny's playlist, and we still listen to it sometimes. Um, and when I first logged in, I saw I my username was Benedict three, so I knew that there are at least two other live births. Yeah, and we're now up to Benedict seventeen. Right. Um, but once we got onto that, someone had put a message on, um, cause you can connect with the other, um, recipients. Mm-hmm. And so we have a beautiful, um, Facebook group called Benedict's Babies, Benedict Babies. Uh, they're mostly in the US. Yep. Um, including Declan. That, sorry, there's. I think there's two others in in Australia. There's one in Canada, and then the rest are in the US. Um, there are twenty one babies, and Declan, I think, is the third oldest. So, and then there was one born maybe a month ago. Um, so we've had a couple of catch-ups when Declan and I aren't as engaged as all of the others I'm just not ready to fully jump in but we share photos I've received Christmas cards um you know one day we will get there and meet them 
it's uncanny some of the resemblance um but yeah benedict is donor id so when similar to um here in australia um well i chose a donor because you, like they could be completely anonymous these options yeah I chose a donor that was one of my conditions that um if and when Declan is ready he can contact the donor he can write to the donor um the the donor has um some characteristics that even in a population of 280 million there aren't that many that have that job um so I may or may not have done a little bit of stalking to see if I can track him down, but I haven't. Like, I yeah, haven't quite found him. Um, someone I thought, but then they didn't have the mole in the right place. And um, yeah, but we like it's nice to know that there is that community, and some of them are gay couples, some of them are um, other solo mums by choice. Yeah. Um. So it's really lovely and, you know, things like Declan has eczema and a number of them have eczema. So just share some of that information. Um, Yeah, and then the the egg donor is also donor ID release um, upon, uh, yeah, upon his 18th birthday. Yeah, I know quite a few people have used egg donors and it's completely anonymous, which just changes things a little bit. Yeah, it was, again, it was, it's really important because this is my choice. It's not necessarily Declan's choice. And we talk about how special people um, helped mama have a baby, like that there are a number of people and we talk about how someone gave me an egg and someone gave me the sperm and um, they were put together and then they were put in mama's tummy. So, you know, that's that's just part of the the story. He doesn't know any different um yeah it doesn't make him any more special or any less special they're all kids are special so um you know books like yours and there's a number of of stories that we read about different different families um it's funny because now that he's five he's in kinder and some of his friends will ask where's Declan's daddy like Mm -hmm. um yeah, and they're like some of the parents say, "What do you want me to say?" I'm like, "You just say it doesn't doesn't have a dad." A book here that you could buy, and you could yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, you know, but the 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 childcare centres he's gone to have always been really inclusive. They'll do, you know, for Father's Day, I'll get a special special mum or um, Kinder had a you know. A, a father and special friend evening. So I think it's lovely that places like that um, are becoming more and more inclusive of families that are different Um, and different is the new normal. Mm-hmm. And every family is perfect just the way they are. Yeah. And look, look we, no doubt there will be some challenging times. Why did you do that? I remember watching an insight program when Declan was about one and I had to turn it off because um yeah if you go down that rabbit hole of what did I do um have you know what have I done to him what kind of 
damage have I done to done to him? Which is one of those programs where they discuss, you know, both sides and good stories and bad stories. And I'm like, oh, you know, um, that was that was really challenging watching that. But I think, yeah, I'm just doing the best I can. And how do you think becoming a mum has changed you as a woman? Um, I cry a lot more than I used to. Just at that, like not the stoic, um, yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm more open about my feelings. Um, I think when you go through those kind of, those kind of things, um, not even just being a solo mum, I think just when you become a parent, you just naturally become more vulnerable, um, or open to vulnerability. So, um, there's certainly a softer side to me. Uh, I used to like things the way I like it and the favourite thing in our house at the moment, fa- favourite word is no, that's <laughs> challenging. So trying to find different tactics and be a bit more patient than I would have been prior to having a child. Okay. Um, yeah, I I um I think a lot more about my mortality um just the the worry probably being a little bit older as well I was I had Declan three weeks before my 45th birthday yeah um so you know there are just some realities to that that I have to think about the will being in place um what would happen, you know, even things like um, the binding um, nomination for my for my superannuation, making sure that's there. Um, yeah, just, it, just thinking about those things a bit more in case anything happened to me. I think there's definitely some bonuses in being older. Um, but, yeah, there's some things that, you know, if if you really got dark, you would think, oh, I'm not going to have as much time, but, hey, I'm going to live to 100, so it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. We'll work out. <laughs> Who knows what medical advances we'll have by then. Yeah, I think there's there's a, certainly an element of my old life. I don't have that autonomy where I can just jump on a plane and some of my friends are still doing that and travelling around the world and there's a bit of envy about that. Um, that I can't just do that. I've got a friend coming to Sydney from Switzerland this weekend and I can't just go up and see her, whereas I wouldn't have even thought twice about it last time or, yeah. like, prior to Declan. But then, you know, someday we've just cleared our whole day because all Declan wants to do is go for a bike ride or go for a swim and build Lego and play. Um, so carving out that time where... You know, I might have been tempted to check my emails or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, so I might have mellowed a little bit. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone is considering whether this is the right path for them, is there any advice you'd give them? Um, yeah, I mean, everyone tells you it goes fast and ask for help. Mm. 
It certainly does go fast and as well as take photos, take videos. Yes, Um, yes. Just that sound of your newborn's noises, their first giggle, the sound of them trying mango for the first time, um, even their crying, like that just bring triggers so many memories and it's just still a haze that whole first year. So I don't really remember. And I look back now, I'm like, I wish I'd got a video of that. I have one great video when he was five weeks old and he rolled and no one believed me that he rolled at that age, except I have the video. Truth. Yeah. And the other thing is just um, ask for help, find a way to ask for help. That is the hardest thing. And probably even harder when you are an older mum because you're so independent, you're so used to doing it by yourself. Um, I've always done most things by myself. So, uh, yeah, whether it's getting someone to pick up milk when they offer, do you need anything at the supermarket? And you say, your natural instinct is, no, that's fine, I've got it. Uh, tell them to get the milk because you'll regret it five minutes after oh, I should have got them to get the milk. And, and trying to corral they, everyone to get together to go and get the milk is a pain in the ass. <laughs> but also they desperately want you to tell them what they need to do because when they're dealing with people like us, um, they don't know what to do. So just want to help. Yeah, tell them, tell them what you need and They'll, they'll come running. I had, I had, I remember um, friends coming over and Declan was a month old. I'm like, oh no, that's okay. I'll just cook. And they're like, no way. Like, we're bringing something. What do you feel like? What do you want for dinner? Um, and I'll always remember that. Uh, one of my friends died last year and she was at that dinner and just like, that's such a good memory. But they brought everything. I didn't have to do anything. Um, and that's that's um, something. The other thing I would say too is I know that um, there are some solo mums out there that don't have the support that I do, so they don't have the family who are just going to be there and pick up those things without you ask, like asking for help. Um, and I would just like reach out to the network that you've created now too. Because there, there are so many amazing women in this network, um, and I've had a number of people ask me along my journey, like since from the day they kind of found out. I remember doing a lap of the MCG with a woman who said, "Can you just tell me how you did that with the eggs, yeah. with the with the donor? What like what happened?" Um, there are so many amazing women out there who can be a resource now more than I ever had. And I think that's amazing. And with there's so many of us now as well, there's guaranteed to be someone not too far from you. So if you do need help, they've been there, they understand, and they'll do probably anything they can to help you. Who's got yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm on the Ballerine and I know that there's a number of women down here, like they're not necessarily right near me, but, you know, around here in the Geelong area, there's people um, it's not that far to Melbourne, e- even if it's just on the end end of a phone, end of a message, there's someone there 
because sometimes all we need is to download. Yeah, some pretty amazing advice. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story, and I'm so glad you got your Declan at the end. Opportunity, pretty pretty big roller coaster. So wonderful, happy ending for you. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.